0: We have found our peace. We have found.
1: If this is your first time here or first time in a while, we welcome you. We always love having you come in, and uh, we are in the middle of a series that is entitled "Right in Your Eye, and if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to the book of Judges. And um, let me just go ahead and say next week we will be looking at Judges chapter 6. So again, I'd like for you to read ahead, and then that way if I don't do a very good job preaching, you can at least get the message uh, straight from the word Judges chapter 6 for um, for, for next week. Um, last week we began our lesson, for those of you that were here, with the question of do you really want to be like everybody else? And I uh, I encourage you, encourage you to not be like everybody else. In fact, I, I pretty much just said, don't be normal, rather be weird. And some of you have a corner on that, uh, just kidding, but uh, be weird in the right way. God says that we are to be a peculiar people, which doesn't mean strange. Peculiar simply means we are to be wonderfully different. Today, we're going to begin our lesson with another question. And you might want to go ahead and take a deep breath because this question is pretty heavy. Here it is. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Let me just ask it again. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? And maybe just to make me feel a little better about myself, is there anyone here that would admit to, admit to at least one time in your life wanting something that your heart knew was wrong? Anybody? Just to make me feel better about myself. Okay, thank you for your honesty. And, and I really think that we could all go back to a season of life. Maybe it was 50 years ago, maybe five years ago, maybe five days ago, maybe back to graduation night, where a still small voice was going, you better not, you better not. This won't turn out well. This isn't right. But then on the other hand, your body was saying, do it, do it, do it. And probably there are many of us that at times succumb to the voice saying, do it. And whatever it was, drugs or a sexual sin or cheating or stealing or whatever, we did it. And then immediately we were probably filled with guilt and, and began thinking, I hope my parents don't find out. I hope my spouse doesn't find out. I hope the police doesn't find out, I I hope the IRS doesn't find out, or I especially hope my pastor doesn't find out. But anyway, the question is, what do you do when your body wants something that your heart knows is wrong? And that's an important question because the way that you answer that question, and and especially the way that you answer that question consistently, day in and day out, will in many ways determine the direction of your life. And if you consistently end up doing what the flesh wants to do, you will probably have regret maybe in the form of purchases that leave you in debt or maybe relationships that leave you full of guilt or or maybe actions that leave your daily life a mess. There will be regret. Well, as we jump into our lesson, uh, each week I've been reminding you to the, that the book of Judges covers about 330 years, between the time that the nation stepped foot into the promised land up to the time that they went to, uh, to, to a system of kings. And during this time period, there were 12 judges. Now, now Bible scholars, uh, of which I'm not one, but at times they count them differently and they come up with a slightly different number but but basically there were 12 judges in the book of Judges. And out of these 12 there was one judge that even if you weren't raised in church you know about this judge. Now you may not actually know that he was a judge of Israel but but you've heard about him his name was Samson. Now Samson's birth story is fairly familiar. In fact you read a script similar to his several times throughout the Bible. The script goes like this. There's a husband and wife. They can't have children. They've lost hope because they're too old. An angel appears to them and, and they say, hey, you're going to have a child. And it's kind of like, let me guess, it's going to be a son. And In fact, you read this same script with Abraham, Sarah, Elkanah, Hannah, Zacharias, Elizabeth. You read it several times. But anyway, our scripture today says, Judges chapter 13, you can follow along reading from the NIV, Verse two, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile, remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Okay. What about this son? Verse six, the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, people who took the Nazarite vow basically had three, don't, uh, three don'ts. One, they couldn't drink grape juice or, or wine. Number two, they couldn't touch anything that was dead. And, and, and I've wondered, would that? How would you handle that with ticks? I mean, could you kill them, or would you just have to kind of wound them and then flick them off? I, I don't know what, what how it applied there. But thirdly, a person under the Nazarite vow could never cut his hair. Now, the Nazarite vow was generally decided by the person taking the vow, and, and maybe they were going through a difficult time, and they wanted to show God how serious they were, and, and so they would take this vow that generally would last anywhere from 30 to 60 on the longer end up to 90 days. But in Samson's case, the poor kid, His parents tell him when he gets old enough to understand, Hey, by the way, son, the reason your hair is in your eyes is not because we want you to become part of the hippie movement. Now, now the reason is that an angel came to us after we had given up hope that we could ever have a child. And this angel told us that we were going to have a son, which was you, and you were to be a Nazarite, not for 30 days, not for 60 days. Not for 90 days, but for the rest of your life. Well, Samson goes through his childhood. He becomes a young man. And and probably around his late teenage years, he is sent down near the coast and basically becomes part of the border patrol between Israel and the Philistines, or some say Philistines, or others say Philistines, who were their enemies. Now, I'm, I'm sure that since teenagers like to show off it probably doesn't take too long for for the other guys to see that Samson is a stud. I mean, he can out-arm wrestle or or out-bench press anybody else. And let me just say this. I, I I can't document this with chapter and verse. This is just me, so take it or leave it. But when you think of Samson, most people automatically think of this guy with a six-pack, not a beer, but a muscles. And, and you have in mind that maybe Samson looked something like this. Just looks just like me. It is me. But but here's the problem with that. You know, when you meet a guy with with huge muscles like this stud, um, no one is really surprised when uh, you know he can bench press 500 pounds or, or whatever. You know, we say, well, of course he can do that. Look at his muscles. And and uh, so, so the thing about Samson, at least for my humble but I think accurate opinion on this is that more than likely he looked like I do in real life rather than what I do in this picture because that way if you know if I did something extraordinary physically and and picked up the city gates like like Samson did or or killed a lion with my bare hands you would be like whoa this has to be of God because I mean look at Joe He, he just doesn't have it poor guy you know he's pretty wimpy So so I think that that, that Samson looked, and pardon the expression that's sometimes offensive to me, but he looked like any old Joe. You know, he just didn't have big muscles. And again, that's just me and you can take it or leave it. Well, anyway, while, while Samson was serving as a border guard between Israel and the Philistines, the story begins to get interesting. And something happens that would eventually cause his downfall. He'd be he becomes fascinated and enamored with Philistine women. And and so it appears that that, that Samson, every once in a while, perhaps at night, would slip across the border and he would go party with some Philistine women. Now, obviously, there are a couple of problems with this. Uh, Number one, the Philistines were the enemy. It's generally not a good idea to party with the enemy but but the second problem with this is that it was pretty risky it appears that by now samson had used his extraordinary strength to to bring havoc to the philistines by destroying their property and crops and so he was already a marked man and the philistines were looking for every opportunity to bring him down let's read how this unfolds judges chapter 14 verse 1 samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young philistine women And, and and check this out when he returned in other words after he came back across the border where he shouldn't have been, where he shouldn't have left in the first place, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now, frankly, this has to be an awkward moment with his parents. And, and of course, in that day, parents were the ones to arrange marriage. But Samson says, Mom and Dad, I found this gal that's so sweet, and, and I've come to love her. And y- yes, I know that she's part of the enemy, but she's different. She's a good girl, and and we've just connected. So, Mom and Dad, I want you to go into enemy territory and get this woman for me. No, there wasn't any, oh, Mom and Dad, what would you think about this? You know, I, I value your input. I value your advice. No, Samson said, go get her for me. Well, their response is so Mom and Dad-like verse 3 his father and mother replied isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people must you go to the uncircumcised philistines to get a wife in other words son come on think i mean you know the thing on your, on your shoulders called a head <laughs> you use that think samson i mean you're a judge of israel You've been called by God to do something special. Your, your birth was predicted by an angel of God. God has given you extraordinary strength to do something special for him. And, and of all the people who shouldn't be going across the border, getting involved with this unbelieving woman, it's you, son. Not to mention that the law of Moses states we're not to marry Philistine women. And this, by the way, was not so much a racial issue, but the whole mindset of the Israelites who served God, Jehovah, and the Philistines who served idols, it was completely different. Just kind of a, if you would just allow me to give a really cheesy, poor illustration here, but this is just on a minor scale. It would be like somebody who graduates from the University of Missouri marrying a person who graduates from the University of Kansas. I mean this would have the potential of creating a lot of issues, and because each of them would bring their sweatshirts and their posters, you know all of their idols and their false gods and and bring them together and, and and you could have a mess on your hands and 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 so the old testament and and this even carried over into the New Testament gave some very specific guidelines that followers of God were not to marry unbelievers because in doing so it would dilute. The worship of the one true living God because then you're getting all kinds of false gods in there along with maybe a little bit of worship of the true God. Well, Samson, his parents say, Oh, son, come on, think. He argues with his parents and again says, But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Yeah. Listen up here. This is super interesting. You know that little phrase, she's the right one for me? In the original Hebrew text, it almost exactly matches the phrase in Judges that's anchoring our series. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Samson said, she is the right one in my eyes. Well, this story ends up in in tragedy and just summarizing it because we've got a lot to cover today. Samson goes down into Philistine territory to get married at the wedding, and almost all of them are Philistines, and he manages to offend everyone there. Plus, he hurts his bride's feelings. They basically kick him out of the country. Again, just summarizing this. Then they take his wife from him. They marry her off to Samson's best man. And then later on, she's burned to death because of her association with Samson. I mean, it was total disaster. You you ought to read the story. It involves Samson catching 300 foxes, tying them tail to tail in pairs, fastening a torch to every pair of tails, lighting the torch, seeing those foxes scatter, burn up all the crops of the Philistines. It also involves, and try to picture this in your mind, Samson being surrounded, he doesn't have a weapon. He looks down and there is the jawbone of a donkey. He picks it up and he uses that as his weapon, kills a thousand Philistines with that jawbone. You ought to read the Bible sometime. It's interesting. Well, that's woman's story number one. Let's move to woman's story number two. Samson hasn't learned his lesson. He's still fascinated by unbelieving women. So again, one night he goes across the border, finds another Philistine woman. He spends the evening with her. Word gets out that he's at this gal's house. The enemy decides they would kill him at dawn. Well, he fools them. He gets up at midnight. But the gates of the city are closed. The Philistines think they've got him trapped in the city. He grabs the gates and the post, lifts them out, carries them on his shoulders, puts them on the top of a hill. And frankly, by now you would think that Samson would have, should have learned his lesson, but he's completely eaten up with lust for unbelieving Philistine women. So enter Philistine woman number three. She's the most famous. You've heard of her. Her name is Delilah. And here at Delilah, we're going to slow the story down. We've been going fast here, but we're going to slow the story down and look at some details and mistakes that he made with Delilah. And when you hear the details, there will be something in in, in many of us and probably more so in women than men. But when you hear this story, you're going to think, how can any man be that dumb? I mean, is it possible for a man to be so dumb that he would make the same irresponsible decisions over and over and over? And, And ladies, you don't need to make a peep right here. Because men, we already know the answer to that question. The answer is yes. This happens all the time. It's not at all uncommon for a man, and and, and not just limited to men, but women as well. But we're probably more guilty than women. But it's not at all uncommon for both men and women to get so worked up over someone or maybe even over the image on their phone or computer to where they do something that from the perspective of another person looking on is completely, they would say they are completely irresponsible, dumb. And I know I'm not supposed to say this in church, but stupid, ridiculous. You know, the appeal of sex is, is so powerful. It drives both men and women to do the unthinkable. And so if anyone would look at the story and say, oh, there's no way that anyone could be that dumb? Let me just stop and say, oh, yes, there is. It happens all the time. It's probably even happened to some of us here today. Now, ladies, I'm going to be picking on men quite a bit today, but I'm not going to completely let you off the hook, okay? So here's your problem, ladies. Smile, okay? Smile at me. You, you, you want to know your problem? I don't mind saying that men are simple. And and ladies, you can say amen to that one. Amen. But ladies, your problem is that you are naive and gullible. And don't get upset at me when I, when I, and don't walk out on me, please. This is important. Women, you tend to believe, believe the same dumb things that men say over and over and over and over Things such as, but I really love you. Or we just need to see if this will work out. You know, that's why we need to move in together. You know, we need to see if we're compatible. You know, it's like buying a car. You've got to do a test drive. You can't just kick the tires. Whatever that means in this situation. La- ladies, I don't know all of the lines that you've been fed, but way too many times you've been naive and gullible and you believed men. That you should run away from. I heard about a lady once that felt called to help young ladies walk through their pre-marriage relationships. And she would always ask, okay, why do you want to marry him? And, and, and if, if they would answer, well, I don't know. I just love him. He's so cute. And he makes me laugh. And she would then say, okay, what do you specifically love about him? And if they couldn't come up with a good answer, she would say, okay, girlfriend. If you can't think of what's great about him, you're better off without him. Yes, he may be cute, but that cuteness goes away after he develops a gut. That cuteness goes away after he loses his hair. And yes, he may have a nice car, but you get a couple of kids and it'll smell like family. He may have some money, but money can't buy happiness. And, and so she would try to help ladies sort through the feelings to make sure it was love based on substance and not just cuteness or sex or money. Well, a couple more things, ladies, uh, and then I'll get back to picking on the guys. But <laughs> ladies, are you listening? If he can't afford to marry you, and only wants to live with you, then he can't afford you. Because you're worth affording. You know, that old saying of two can live as cheaply as one is true only if one doesn't eat, and if one doesn't buy clothes, and if one doesn't breathe. <laughs> and that whole thing that guys say, well, we'll live together and save up money for the next year or two, and then we'll have enough money to have a big and fabulous wedding, and then I'll take you to the Bahamas for our honeymoon. It's real simple. Ladies, if He can't afford to marry you and only wants to live with you, He can't afford you. You're worth affording. And I realize uh, I'm not making probably any uh, brownie points, not helping my approval rating today, but that's the way it is. And and one more thing, ladies. (laughs) I'll get back to Samson here in a minute. And this is probably the most offensive thing I'm going to say all day. Ladies... Man, I hope I don't lose my job over this one. <laughs> Ladies, God designed your body as the dessert, not the appetizer. Okay? And here's the deal. I'm saying this as a man. Remember, I was a man 30 years before I became a pastor. God designed your body as the Dessert, and if you keep serving your body up as the appetizer, no wonder nobody is sticking around for the main course. That's why so many relationships end the same way—they've had the dessert first, and they're no longer interested in the main course. Are, are we okay with that, board members? I know you're probably having an emergency board meeting after the service, but it's been nice being your pastor. Uh, and I'm sure you're glad you're, you come to church. You're getting such deep, profound theological truths today. Back to the sermon in woman number three. Judges chapter 16 verse four. Sometime later, he, Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. So again, he sneaks into enemy territory, meets another woman, falls in love with her. And this is a one. This is not a one-night stand like it appeared to be with woman number two. This is, oh my word, she's the one. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I, I, I thought woman number one uh, was the one, but it didn't work out. And that relationship went up in smoke and literally did. They burned her up. But now as he meets Delilah, he says, I know in my heart she's the one. Well, the rulers of the Philistines find out that Samson's all about Delilah. And verse 5 says the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him. Now, think about that word lure. Do you know what a lure is? It's something you jiggle in front of fish and they go, "Ooh, that looks good. And then they grab it and say, "Ooh, that isn't very good. Now, I'm not going to go into details here, but use your imagination to figure out how she might lure Samson. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And it's tough to figure out 3,300 years of inflation. But someone kind of did that math and they said in our currency today this would have been around $90,000, which would certainly get your attention. Verse 7. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And now, when she said, Samson, I want to know how you can be subdued. This should have been Samson's first clue that this relationship was toxic and wasn't going in the right direction. Well, verse 8. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs. And these were probably bowstrings that had not been dried. And she tied him up with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But she snapped the the bowstrings, uh, bowstrings, the thongs, as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And and this should have been the end of the road. Samson should have said, I'm out of here. (laughs) But he didn't. Well, to find out Samson's secret, Delilah began to work and began working on his emotions. She said, "Samson, you've made a fool out of me. You lied to me. No, you lied to me. Wait a minute. Did Samson lie? Yeah, but she deceived him too. So she deceives him. He lies back. Already sounds like a wonderful, trusting relationship, doesn't it? She baits him again." you know with whatever that lure was and you can probably guess and samson said okay i lied it's not bowstrings, strings it's new rope and she probably gets him drunk he passes out wakes up he's tied up in new rope surprise surprise he breaks the new ropes chases the philistines off now again samson should have bailed i mean isn't it interesting whatever he tells delilah somehow some way gets to the philistine leaders Again, what a toxic relationship. Can can you believe they're still together? I, I mean, Samson, pardon me, but are you really that dumb? Well, she keeps dangling that lure in front of him that overpowers his common sense and overpowers his calling from God. And, and this happens a couple more times. And he finally says, all right, Delilah, here's the secret of my strength. And Scripture says in verse 16, Judges 16, with such nagging, uh-oh, with such nagging. She prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. (laughs) I like that. Tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And so she gets him drunk. He passes out. He wakes up with a haircut. And Scripture says this, verse 19, And his strength left him. And then she calls Samson, The Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, Well, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. How could anyone be so dumb? It's real simple. When you ignore that still, small voice, when you ignore God's Word, when you ignore the calling of God upon your life, you will eventually come crashing down. And finally we get to the heart of the matter. Here's why we went through this story. Because this story not only involves Samson, it involves you. It involves me. 1,300 years later, after the story of Samson, another Jewish man comes along and he writes the following in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Almost sounds like Samson's calling, doesn't it? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And just as the Spirit of God would rest on Samson and allow him to do extraordinary things, God designed it so that same Spirit would reside in every single person who has yielded their heart to God. And just as Samson was to be fully controlled by God, the same is expected from us. And and that's why the Apostle Paul said, you're not your own. You're not your own. There it is. You're not your own. Listen, you are not your own. You've been set apart. You've been bought at a tremendous price. The price of the death of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, Paul says, honor God with your bodies. The last thing I want for me, the last thing I want for you is for us to sacrifice what is really important for something that lasts maybe a weekend or a week or a season of our lives. There's nothing like sin to derail us. And that's why God... And you know what? Satan is so sneaky. He's so sneaky. You know, I found just kind of as personal testimony, I found that Satan many times, we we think that he's going to attack us in our weak area, but I found that sometimes he attacks us in our strengths, Because we're not necessarily thinking about it. You know, we're thinking of our weak area and and, and, uh, trying to shore that up. And so sometimes Satan comes and attacks us in the area of our strength. There's nothing like sin to derail us. And that's why God, through the writing of the Apostle Paul, says honor God with your bodies. It's not because God is trying to keep good things from us. He is just saying, I don't want you to sacrifice anything for something you're going to regret down the road. And if that scares you, it it shouldn't. Let me tell you what should scare you. What should scare you is this. That you live the rest of your life without yielding to God. Because... That will only lead to pain and regret, not only here on earth, but in eternity. There will be regret. So today I want to pray for us. If you're involved in sin, not only sexual sin, but any other kind of sin, an addiction or anything else, today is the day to confess and turn. You say, well, pastor, I don't know how to get out. I'm involved in this addiction or this sin so deeply. I don't know how to get out. Can I tell you something? I've been there, done that. You say, well, I'm disappointed in you, pastor. Well, I'm sorry, but as I said, I was a man 30 years before I became a pastor and I still struggle even today with temptation. So I'm a fellow struggler. But here's one thing of which I remind you, victory only comes when we reach the end of our rope and say, I can't do it. I've tried, I just can't. As long as as we think we can handle, as long as we think we're strong enough, God says, I, you don't need me. But when you reach that point of saying, God is beyond me, I've tried. I've tried. I can't do it. When we reach the end of the rope and say, I can't do it, that's when victory comes because God says, thank you very much. Let me come alongside of you now and let me show you my strength and my power. So this morning, could we all just give our sin to God and ask him to help us do what we can't do on our own and and that's turn from our sin. And so as we pray this morning, would you just do that? Whatever it is, I mean, there are so many different sins that I could name, and but sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. And so this morning, if there is a sin in your life, could you just give it to God and say, I can't do it anymore? I release it to you. I've tried. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I can't do it, but God, I'm willing to let you come in And do this in my life. Can we just do that this morning? Would you bow your heads? Lord, you know the sin that's in our lives. Father, I pray that there would be victory. Not because we're strong enough. Because we're not. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood cleanses us from all sin. And so, God, I, I thank you that you put this lesson, and this is, this is a judge, in the book of Judges, and we see how he strayed so far, but then, Lord, we're not going to cover this at the end of his life, and in some sense, Lord, you came back to him because he was humbled, and Lord, you gave him strength once again. Lord, I pray that today we wouldn't just be so discouraged that we would quit and say, well, I can't do it, and... You know, good luck to others. I just can't. This is the way I'll be until I die. But Father, I pray that there would be victory in the name of Jesus and help us to be followers of Jesus Christ and be clean and pure.